So this episode was put out by James Schmuir. It is the only episode he's written. I'm starting to notice a trend here. Uh, they also actually had a new actor on board, Ted Knight, who's actually a filmation vet. So, hey, we've got someone new. He's the one who plays uh, Winston. I'm just going to refer to him as Winston for the sake of simplicity, just to make that nice and clear. What's funny about this episode is they talk at the beginning about how amazing Winston, the real Winston, is. How he was someone who was a traitor, with a D, and ran around amassing a personal fortune so that he could then use it in order to help benefit others and help others. Which, that actually sounds kind of awesome. <laughs> you know? I mean, that, that that's very Trek to put it into simpler terms, or a federation, or however you want to think of that, you know, the idea that someone would still have the ambition and drive to become wealthy, but have the decency to actually use that wealth for the benefit of others, rather than letting it sit in a giant pile and uh, accumulate even more wealth, or, you know, use it to try and you know, destroy the world or whatever. That's kind of cool. I'm with that. They also, uh, apparently he needs to have ID tapes. I don't know if that's a thing past this point. We actually see several times in TOS they've got the little identifier things they'll put into a thing to start like a log or to know, say, hey, this is me in the computer. I don't think they ever called them ID tapes, but I can imagine that those are what those were. And of course, what could ever possibly replace magnetic tape as far as a storage medium? So that makes perfect sense. I, I want to talk more about the wealth thing. I, I, I'm sorry, the economist in me is just going nuts about that idea because it's such a brilliant idea. All it really is is someone artificially adding organization to economic flow. Let me explain what I mean by that. Let's say that the wealth exists somewhere in the system, you know, somewhere within an economic bubble uh, or, or a model or whatever you want to call it, within a specific network, to help these people with their farm and help these people with their medical expenses and help these people uh, with their infrastructure, right? You know, they, they, they literally need to build stuff. Construction, so construction, medical, farms. And it's three separate groups of people who are spread out within this system. And the three of them are like, oh gosh, what do we do? And so while they can try to garner, you know, money and they could try to bring in either taxes or trade or petition for aid or whatever... They only have so many resources at their disposal to do that with. And the less they have to start with, the less they have to work with, because that's just simple math, right? If you are poor, it is much harder to become rich. That's the, that's the age-old thing. So what can be done, then, is a group of, of people or an individual can go around with the specific and implicit goal of amassing spe uh, specie, right? To, to grab currency, to grab value, in order to then be able to specifically say they need that farm supply, they need those medical, and they need that construction, and be able to distribute it where it needs to be. Effectively, it's someone who is actually managing the economic structure by saying, well, this wealth needs to be redirected over here. And it's being done deliberately, which is even more awesome. Usually this kind of thing happens just as a byproduct, or let's be as cynical as we possibly can. Usually this doesn't happen at all. 
I wasn't being facetious earlier. I'm not even talking about modern times. Historically speaking, the wealthy tend to throw it into a pile and let it get bigger. Which, again, this is just my personal perspective. And every economist in the world will disagree on what makes a good economy. But for me, what makes a good economy is the money flowing, the, the, the goods and services, and the value moving through the system. That's in what, in my opinion, makes for a healthy and good economy for the people who live within it, right? So what Winston, the real Winston, was doing would be encouraging a good economy within the Federation by con continuing to ensure that this money flows through the system, and thus they get what they need, and he continues to be able to operate in this matter. I I'm sorry to gush about this. This is just a really cool idea, and it's also one that is extremely rare in fiction, probably because usually in fiction, if there's a rich person, they're either a Tony Stark, who, while he has certainly done some very, very good things, is ultimately kind of selfish with his money, or, well, they're the bad guys. <laughs> Again, because of the whole historical context thing, I'm sure. Anyways, so we bring on Winston. And it's like, all right, all right, let's let's scan you here. Huh? Well, there's a slight reading. That's strange. Ah, uh, it's probably nothing. Isn't that just so McCoy? I don't even. I'm not even mad. That is just such a McCoy move. A lot of things to be mad about later. But if you want to ding this, you can count this. In fact, let's let's keep track here. Let's let's do, let's have fun. Hang on. Sorry. I had to reset it from the crash counter from the last game. So many crashes lately. Let's call that a incompetence counter, okay? Hear me out for a second. So, this then leads to... Oh my god, I didn't write down her name, did I? <laughs> uh, the love interest. Hang on, I can pull up her name relatively quickly. Just, just give, give me a second. Oh my god, Laura. What is your name? Blah, 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 blah. Anne. That's her name. Okay, so Anne shows up. And is like, hey! And he actually says, you know, they rebuilt me. And, and he talks about things like bones and skin and muscles and how different he is. And her response is, you don't look any different to me. I'm sorry. I, I That's being a bit mean, and I'll admit it. If I had... If, if, if my fiancé... I was actually engaged at one point in my life. If my fiancé uh, that I was separated from and I thought was dead showed up, I would probably be willing to ignore a whole lot to see her again. So I'm, I'm, I'm willing to let that go. Let's, let's, let's let that slide. It's still a dumb line, and it's not said properly. But it's okay, because I can never be with you, and I reject you. And I made a note here. I'm pretty sure I've never seen this episode, by the way. I made a note about how it's interesting how he seems to be rejecting her based on the actor's performance, for her sake, because obviously it's not Winston. Like, that's obvious from the first part of the episode starts, right? In other words, he does it as a kindness rather than a cruelty. Usually when we see this kind of shapeshifter story and a beloved person shows up, they're like, ah, piss off. As opposed to this case where it's like, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just too different. Um, maybe you should look at, look into someone else, see, seek someone else. I'm sure there's another person who can make you happy other than me. And it's clear that there's something else going on there, which the episode then confirmed later on. Anywho, so he's a shapeshifter. Da -da -da -da, who can neck pinch. Or whatever the hell he's doing. They never explained that one. I love how loud and slow his shapeshift is. I know it's just trickery because no one ever notices his shapeshifting, even when it's happening like two feet behind them. Oh, I'll just stand here. I wonder what that loud, weird noise is behind me. Oh, well. 
well, yeah, I guess I'll just go ahead and go back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it just makes it unintentionally funny. I am going to go ahead and give a total lack of peripheral awareness incompetency there, though. So Kirk shows up at the bridge, acts odd, gives a very unusual order, and no one picks up on it. There's also, I'm sorry, i got to add another one here. He gives justification by saying, it's okay, there's been no Romulans sighted in this area for over a week. Or, let me say that, I'm saying that wrong, I'm saying that wrong. Let me make this very clear. A week ago, there were no Romulans here. A week would be a huge period of time in real life, never mind when people have warp drives. (laughs) So, uh, not a great excuse. Then the real Kirk shows up and is like, what the heck just happened? And they're like, yeah, you did this. Thankfully, they pretty quickly realize that something's off. Unfortunately, the first thing they do is they think, you know, oh, well, there's obviously something wrong with me. Still, credit where credit is due. You know, in, in typical Sins video thing, I'll take a take a incompetency back, which I have to do this to do. There we go. In order to accommodate, you know, the, the competency of that. So, okay, we're being competent. We're doing a little bit better. Cool. Then they go down, and McCoy is there. Credit where credit is due. They immediately notice something is wrong with McCoy. And then so they walk back in and then see McCoy laying on the ground. It's like, huh, yeah, no, something's up. So, ooh, actually on. Sorry, shouldn't have faked the on earlier. Now I'm in a yawny mood. <clears throat> this is when the episode loses me, by the way. Because what follows is just a cavalcade of competency followed by incompetency, and they just bounce around for a while there. So, this is a threat episode, by the way. They discover that McCoy's off, okay? Then they go back in, and then Kirk immediately notices that there's something... Well, hang on, McCoy doesn't seem anything weird about the fact that he was taking a nap on the floor... So that's incompetency. Then we shuffle back to competency because Kirk, of all people, immediately notices that the med bay is there. We then shift right back to incompetency because McCoy says, what are you doing? You're being so weird talking to this med bay that's never been there before. In the interest of fairness, McCoy just got up from being knocked out, so maybe he's still a little bit out of it. Then, immediately following this, they decide to confront someone who they have clearly deduced is a shapeshifter of some type. Without security or weapons, right back to incompetence. And in this case, I'm not going to keep tracking it. It's too much of a pain to go back and forth with the clicker. But in this case, this is even made worse because immediately after he flees, they call for security. Could have done that 20 seconds earlier. I'm just saying. They probably wouldn't have showed up in time, but at least you would have had a brain in the process. Then Anne sees the intruder and can't shoot him. Oh, Now, you might be thinking, okay, Laura, you're officially being too harsh. No, I'm not. It has a stun setting. One of the biggest frickin' points about Star Trek is they have a frickin' stun setting. That's a huge deal, is that their guns can be (laughs) non-lethal. So, even if it looked like my fiancé, even if she was right there, and even if I wasn't sure, I would still be able to pull that trigger, especially when I am 90% certain that's not her. Because even if it is her, all I'm doing is stunning her. I mean, yeah, we do know that the stuns give a bit of a headache, or at least that's something that's been theorized, but oh no. This then leads to a situation where the whole ship 
knows that there's an intruder. And the whole ship knows this intruder can mind shape into anyone. So Scotty shows up in the engine room, unarmed, and just sees someone who is clearly messing with things. And his response is, what are you doing? And he's almost, he's so casual about it. This is actually a bit of a voice acting problem, as I've already mentioned. But he sounds so banal, right? Oh, hey. What are you working on? <laughs> Scotty deserved that one. Uh, this, uh, this then leads to, you know, the major threat. Oh my god, the Romulans are going to take our ship legally. They're really big on that legality thing. This is interesting. This is not the first time this has shown up. Back in, uh, the Enterprise incident, they, they kind of pushed the legality button a bit. And it became clear that they, it was a way that they were differentiating the, I forget if I talked about it. It's a way they were differentiating the Romulans for the Klingons. You know, they wanted to have justification, Cass's belly, etc., in order to operate within the realms of legal interspatial law or interstellar law. I point that out, though, because if you pay attention, it's probable that because of those two episodes, that's why the Romulans are that way in the future. In the TNG and DS9 era, they're really big on having legal justification for what they do. Oh, they want war, and they want conquest, and they want to, to, to dominate, but they need to do it properly. They want to do it within the bounds of reason. And what's really funny is, to my knowledge, it's never properly explained why, because despite being one of the so-called big races, especially one of the big antagonistic races, the Romulans don't actually get that much screen time. And since we never got that Romulan war during Enterprise Season 5, I suppose they never will. Reminder that I still haven't seen the new track stuff. I, I hear that Romulans are in Picard. I don't know how much of a presence they have. Anyways. So. The Romulans are like, we need the, we need the excuse. And this would also explain why the Romulans retreat, by the way. If the Federation has sufficiently found out that they have, you know, that the Romulans have violated the treaty, then not only do they lose their legality, but they might lose other things at the treaty table, and that's just problematic. So they're like, We'll just call it a wash. So that makes sense. It also helps to explain why Kirk pushes the legality arguments so hard when it comes to the Romulans. But what I really want to talk about is shape-shifting. An idea that I don't see often expressed in fiction is when a shapeshifter has the ability to effectively perfectly mimic the person they're shape-shifting, you know, down to the structure of how their brain works and little things like that. Why is that relevant? Well, one of the ideas that is even more rarely presented in shapeshifting is the idea that they are able to mimic the person so clearly that they unintentionally start taking on some of their mannerisms, thoughts, perspectives, emotions, mindset, etc. In other words, they more or less effectively become the mask by simple virtue of actually being that person in every way that really matters. This actually shows up semi-frequently in fiction as, as an idea that is never expressed or, ex or expounded upon. You know, several times people have access to the memories of the person they're impersonating, but are otherwise completely uninfluenced by it. It's just something they're using as another tool to impersonate. I always liked this idea a little bit better, that if you impersonate someone that thoroughly, to the point where you literally have some of their memories and thoughts, and, you know, again, you're structured the way that they are, that you kind of... You don't become them, but you certainly start drifting in that direction, which is exactly what they describe in this episode. And that's actually kind of cool. I'll give you that one episode. It actually elevates the episode substantially for me that not only is that a thing, but they acknowledge it and state it flat out. It's like, hey, the episode gets dinged a little bit because there's no buildup to that whatsoever other than the fact that he wanted her to not be with him. That's that's the only buildup at all. It's the only foreshadowing. Otherwise, it's like, 
I'm a Romulan agent, Romulan agent, Romulan agent, Romulan agent. You know, I kind of regret being a Romulan agent. Saves the ship. It, it, it's, it's literally scene to scene with no transition whatsoever. And that hurts the episode substantially. But at least it is trying for something, which I will give credit for. He also becomes a deflector. Yeah, I know that the truth is he's probably becoming a deflector array or a piece of the piece of the the panel that he removed or something. But they say in the episode that he became the deflector, and I just wanted to comment on that because, pff, wow, I mean, Odo can become a cloud, so whatever. <clears throat> so then Anne asks, "Can you assign me the duty of watching him in custody?" <laughs> what? <laughs> Conflict of interest? No? Okay, well, let's assume for a moment that we can trust her with it and we can trust him with it. He did just save the ship, and so maybe we can trust both of them and ignore the legality of the situation. I'm willing to let that go. But um, there's some implications there, which I, you're probably expecting me to make some kind of joke about, and you can make in the comments if you want to. He is a tentacle monster after all. But actually, I think this is kind of cool, too. No, I mean that sincerely. Not not the sex part. I mean just the idea that she could find it in herself to love someone who is so substantially different than her. Non-humanoid, actually. It's something I've posited in my own fiction several times. The idea that love exists regardless of biological compulsion. And detaching love from the biology of the matter is something that I'm kind of in favor of. And so this is actually kind of cool, if I might be so bold. The fact that he's a shapeshifter and can become whatever she wants probably doesn't hurt matters, but the fact remains. Either way, the episode then ends on a face-palming wah-wah, which I'm going to go ahead and count as an incompetence. Not great. Not terrible. Uh, as with the TOS stuff, I've been keeping a list over here of good, middle, and bad episodes. And so far, the middle category is the one that's the lion's share, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if that just ends up being true going forwards. I, I guess I don't have anything else to add here. What do you all think about the shape-shifting thing, about the love thing, and about the legality thing? And, most importantly of all, about the incredible sex